what I love to do in Byron is going for an early morning surf and being out there in the water with the sunrise. And that's a practice. My favorite part of my practice would be my chanting, my mantra practice. I don't go into that part of myself that judges me for the way I sound because that's not the point. I really needed to find how this practice related, how it was for me. I want to find out who I am. I don't want to have this thing where everyone comes up to me, oh, you're Peg's daughter? Uh, actually, it's Megan. Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Yoga Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Megan Powell, the other half of Ashtanga Dispatch, and of course, my daughter. We're going to start with the questions from the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast Facebook page. Okay. Okay. Ralph Dwyer wants to know, when do you practice and is it always full primary? No, sometimes it's full standing. (laughs) (laughs) Although although that's truthful. Yeah, sometimes it is just full standing, and I'm quite pleased with that. I try to practice something of some sort every day, and I do, and it depends. It depends on how I feel that day. It depends on what I'm going to do that day. It depends on how much time I have. Um, but generally speaking, I at least always sit and do a meditation practice and breathing, even if that's all it is. If I do a little bit more, great. If I do everything, fantastic. If I do a little bit, more than that, I don't know, even better. Some days I just, yeah. It's hard to almost answer because I know that when I practice next to you, you are, when I say you're consistent, you are consistent. You are up there at 5, thir- 5.45. It depends on where I'm at, too. Yeah, I mean, when you're here, because I'm not going to get out there until. No, and here I'm. I'm only here for a month, so it also depends on where you are and, yeah, and what you're doing. So right now I feel a little bit like I'm on vacation with my family, and I'm up there a little bit later. Some people, that might be really early, some people, but when I'm in Byron and I have a more consistent schedule and I'm not, and I don't have so many things and dogs, which are like children in some ways, I'm practicing by... 4.45, and so about an hour earlier. And, but I'm consistent in that I always try to have a, a time where I sit without anyone, without my phone, without distractions, and a time where I can just be with myself. And that starts out my day in a beautiful way. But it also might not just be me sitting. On days off, I really prefer if it's a beautiful day going outside and going for a walk on the beach or going in our field with the dogs or going on a hike or what I love to do in Byron is going for an early morning surf and being out there in the water with the sunrise 
And that's a practice. I think we get sort of set and we see practicing in terms of series and postures. And regardless of how often we say we don't see it that way and that it's more than that, yeah. it, it becomes the metric for which we measure our practice. And you practice every morning. Yes. What you practice depends. Changes. Yes. But I change every day. So some days I'm, I get a little bit less sleep and some days, you know, maybe the night before I maybe eat something that was a little bit heavier or yeah, I think it just depends on where you're at and you have to be mindful of that and you're trying to become in harmony with yourself and the world around you. And so that means you're not always going to practice full whatever. But I think the longer and the more you listen to yourself, the more space you give yourself, the maybe a little bit of creativity, wherever you're at, if, I think if you practice intelligently, it will serve you in the best capacity that you need for that day. So if you're feeling like, you know, today I have a lot going on, I'm really tired, I need to have energy for whatever's coming, then maybe just sitting there for 10 minutes, maybe doing a little bit of standing is what's really going to serve you. Sometimes I feel like when I'm really tired, I actually need a boost of energy. And so I will practice second because that's what gives me that like, all right, I'm good. I'm all fired up. Some days I need a bit more grounding at, you know, and I'll, so I'll do primary or a little bit of third or whatever it might be. It just depends. Even my meditation practice changes. I mean, we think about meditation, but there are some mornings where early, early, I'll just be in the garden and that's kind of my quiet, focused, distraction-free time, weeding. Weeding is yeah. an amazing meditation practice, I think. Just Yeah, and you're it's a repetitive task. It's you're out in nature, yep. your hands are in dirt, or you're out in the water and surfing. Yeah, I think that it doesn't necessarily I think the point of it being on a cushion is so you can take it out, you know, and not be on your cushion and still maintain that sense of equilibrium and harmony and it's just easier to do that when you're sitting and then but if you can take that into the world then then that's a beautiful thing that morning time is pretty secret and vital well you're fresh you've just woken up you haven't hopefully looked at your instagram page with various people doing other things and influencing you certain ways you haven't caused all these shall we call them fluctuations but yeah I think that the morning time is preferably the best time but whenever you can is also a really good time as well okay next question 
comes from Lisa Buddha. And I think this is great because there's a part of your practice that you actually haven't mentioned. And she said, tell us about your daily practices and what life is like in Byron Bay. And though you've mentioned different parts of your daily practices, there's one part that you haven't mentioned that's you've been actually sharing with me. Well, let's start at the very beginning. First, I wake up. I have my cup of tea. (laughs) It really does start that way, though. Yeah, it's important. Like, how you wake up and... But we like routine, and I think routine is a really great thing. So I do view part of my practice, because this starts out my day, is I have a cup of tea. And... But I also have a book, and it can... For me, it's generally poetry. Like, some sort of... Um, doesn't have to be spiritual, but I do like to read poetry. Um, and then I find a poem that really speaks to me in some capacity, and I actually read it out loud, which will go into the part of my practice that I haven't mentioned. And then take shower, blah blah, sit down. I find it important to win. I find it important that when you sit down is kind of, is when you're going to start is you put your phone away, all that sort of stuff. And I sit, I let thoughts come and go. I don't, I don't, um, try to moderate them in any way. I don't, I try not to become attached to them, although better, easier said than done. And so on and so forth, try to then focus the next part on my breath and having a meditation that focuses on the sensations of my breath because I think that that's a nice setup for my pranayama practice, which comes next. And then my, my favorite part of my practice would be my chanting my mantra practice, um, in which I incorporate different chants. This past month, we've been chanting the sutras, uh, just a little bit of the first and the second chapter, which has been really special to share. So that's probably my favorite part. It's a really personal part that I, I think for a really long time, I was perhaps shy, nervous of speaking my voice. Um, To be quite honest, I was always told that I was a terrible singer. I'll give them their credit. I'm not the best, but I've moved past that. It's so when I first started, I would get really embarrassed of the way I sounded. And, um, but my teacher, she was like, there was this one time she asked me, she was teaching and I was there and she goes, she goes, oh, I'm, I'm off pitch. Can you, can you, are you on pitch? Can you hum for me? And I started humming, but I, you know, when you're nervous, the first thing that comes out, the first thing that you can really tell when someone's nervous is their voice shakes or isn't quite right. And mine was like, oh my God. Uh, I mean, that's why they told me I was a bad singer. And I, and I said to her, I was like, uh, I don't, I'm not a very good singer. And she goes, she just looks at me right in the eye. She was like, don't go there. Don't go there right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, 
And I think it was the first time that someone didn't, like, I didn't feel judged in any capacity. And I just don't go there anymore. I don't go there. Even if my voice cracks, I don't go there. I don't go into that part of myself that judges me for the way I sound because that's not the point of a mantra practice or, or chanting, um, or chanting. It's your, your, your chanting or devotion for love. And that's what comes through. It shouldn't be, I mean, it will be, it will, you will notice how you sound and those voices will come up. And the more you chant and the more it becomes just fluid and something that you really love something that you're open to when you sit there, it becomes, those voices just, they stop. They slowly just go away until eventually you just feel really good and really open and you feel that love inside of you. And so that would be my favorite part of my practice. And I prefer to be alone before the sun comes up where, yeah, it's a really beautiful part of the day and part of my practice. So when you're chanting, don't go there. <laughs> and then you move. Yeah, and then I start my... <laughs> and then I do my, you know, full... Uh, <laughs> okay. And she does her full standing. Yeah, and then I stop. Yeah, and then I do my asana practice. <laughs> Which... It's also really fun and important as well. But my mantra practice would be my favorite. It is, isn't it? I mean, maybe we're not supposed to have favorites or whatever, but you know. That's only with kids. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I find it's my, it's that time where like I've settled the mind. I've, I've, you know, been sitting there pretty much for a while before I start this. Um, so my mind is is a little bit more easier to deal with. My breath is more connected. It's longer. It's fuller. And then, yeah, and then this part opens up and I just start chanting. Do you think that that's had any effect outside of your practice? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I'm not sure if I can pinpoint exactly I think that since I've become more comfortable with my voice I mean we're doing a podcast right now so clearly something has changed because I would never do this before no you wouldn't um I would say it's helped me become more comfortable with myself and feeling the freedom to open up and a devotional sense in uh, an emotional sense it's helped me I think it's really released a part of me that I kept tightly hidden and I've become more comfortable with what's that and that's what we're trying to do become comfortable with ourselves who we are and get closer to that. And I think it's definitely opened up spaces in my mind um, and spaces in my heart that were otherwise 
closed for some reason. So I can't, I can't say exactly what, but that would probably be generally. If someone was listening and wanted to begin a chanting practice, and I have to admit that that's always been something I've been drawn to, and without a series or a sheet or whatever, I have found it difficult to start having you home for the month and having you chant the sutras with me each morning has been unbelievably special. And and now I feel like when you leave, I will continue to where we've gotten to. But say somebody doesn't have someone to chant with them or to get them started, how could they start? Sanskrit in itself is, I think, a beautiful language because it has so many more sounds and it's also very vibrational, something that English doesn't really have. Unless, which is why I love poetry, because you're using word with sound. Um, but Sanskrit is, even if you don't really know what you're saying, it tonifies a part of you with that vibration. And I would say the best starting point would be chanting the opening and closing chant um, with the Ashanga practice. I, especially out loud. Out loud being the important part because you need to feel it in your chest and in your throat and in your palate and your lips and your nose. There's an important part of that where you can feel it and you are focusing on the way that feels, on the way that when you hear sound and the lips close and there's that vibration and the way that feels. And it's a great meditation as well. And so you can get past that. First off, you, you hear yourself, which is a good and a bad thing, but then you move past that. And I think the hardest thing for me at first was also, we would chant the opening chant together with Dina and I would chant then. I made it like a point to chant the closing chant um, when I was finished and there would be other people in the room, whether it was just one other person or 15 other people. Like, I'm gonna, I'm going to chant not not so loud that people are like, oh, there's Megan over there. But, you know, like just loud enough so I can hear myself and feel that. We have to get used to hearing our own voice, right? Yeah. Even on this podcast was, it was so hard for me in the beginning to even listen to my voice as I edit it. It's still really hard I don't want to hear myself. It, it, but that's what you just said. I don't want to hear myself. Yeah, exactly. You don't. You get embarrassed. You're like, that's what I sound like? Yeah, that's what you sound like. That's what I sound like right now. So it's, but eventually it's nothing. And you chant it and you love it. And, or maybe you don't, I don't know. Um, but hopefully, eventually, you love the way it feels and the way it shows you what you're feeling. I know that sometimes, like, say I've practiced and I just had an emotional whatever. Something came out and maybe I've cried. We can really tell that when someone chants out loud that emotion that comes through. And I know that when I chant and I've been crying I you know kind of get stuck it sounds really raspy and I think you know 
when that first happened, I at first was a little embarrassed. And then I came to love it. Like, yeah, that's me. Like, I just, I just cried. So what? And I'm going to chant out loud. So what? Like, that's me. So. I've had conversations with you. And this didn't happen before just recently where you've been talking to me and you could be laughing and talking and then, you know, no emotion, go into a subject, be crying and talking and then go right out of that all in the same span of conversation. And it'd be like nothing like music. It crescendos, it goes, it just kind of, but it's, those were, and those were at times, <clears throat> I do know, where I was practicing really intensely, and there was a lot that was coming up, and so, and I was feeling that, and, you know, I think sometimes when you're practicing intensely, you're like a pressure cooker a little bit, and things build up, and maybe a little bit comes out, and it's a little messy, and, but that's okay. But you're saying part of the process is not censoring it. It's just letting it. Just let it happen. If you want to cry and laugh at the same time, go for it. Hopefully you have people around you that won't judge you. And if you have people that judge you, I don't know, maybe you should not have them. (laughs) Maybe they're not working for you. Maybe that's what's not working. (laughs) So part of the process is really messy. And you do start to, when things get intense and, you have a really long practice. You, we actually have Indy inside, and she's still making her voice known to the rest of the world. <laughs> Indy does not have a problem. <laughs> Maybe should I let her out? Yeah. You think? Yes. Okay. All right, dogs are now out with us. So let's talk about. You've been mentioning Dina. First, you just said your teacher, but that is Dina Kingsburg. So talk to us about how you came to study with Dina, because Dina's not out there. So some people listening probably don't even know who Dina Kingsburg is. Dina was someone that, wait, who she was and how she has worked and how she has practiced and the way she lives her life and even seeing that now and being closer with her. It, it's how I want to live my life. And I think that's what's important. Is, to me, that's what's important, is she lives her truth and her life, and she's always been honest with me. And I think the most beautiful part about her is the fact that she's human, and she's honest about being human, and she's honest about not putting her up on a pedestal, She's on a slight pedestal with me, and I'm just joking. (laughs) But I do admire her, just like I admire you. But I admire her and the way she lives her life and how she lives it. And that's, to me, the important part is she's someone I can look up to, and she's someone that also empowers me. I think the part that I love about her, too, is that you have to have a relationship with her. You have to go to her. It's a face-to-face thing. It's You have to see her, and she sees me. The way we're gesturing, the way our body, you know, the way my body's moving, the way I'm interacting with her, it's all very important. And so you have to work to get to her. You really do have to work yeah. to get to her. But when you do, it's, it's, I think, 
a magical thing when you have that relationship with someone. Yeah. I mean, I loved Mysore and my time in Mysore. And I say that because I did. Because I very much enjoyed that. I met a lot of people that I thought were beautiful humans there. I met a community that wasn't wasn't quite, it was a little too big, a little too much. I'm really quiet, reserved. Like I said, I only have a few people that I'm really close to, and that's okay with me. Having 300 plus people is a beautiful, I mean, the energy in the room is amazing. It's beautiful, and it has so much vitality. It also just wasn't the right situation for me to foster my growth. That's okay. Some people, it's my sort. For me, it's a little shala in Byron Bay where I have the beach and I have a really beautiful community now that I'm, you know, it's small. It's done that way by design. And I love it. Having Dina as my teacher and maybe in some ways, uh, that meaning I'm, I'm reliant, I'm moving away, not moving away. I'm evolving. We're having some, I'm having some separation anxiety here. Yeah. So I'm trying to, cause she's flying out on Wednesday. <laughs> Choosing my words carefully here. Um, I think it was important for me to find a teacher that wasn't my mother for many reasons, but one of them being the reason that I think it was hard for me in the beginning to really dedicate myself to the practice was because I couldn't see the practice separate from my mother. She practiced. We would, I mean, I'm just going to say it right now. We'd go places. Everyone would know her. And she would take me to her teacher, which was beautiful and fun. And it's amazing to do this, but it was her thing. It was her, your practice that you, doing and you had all these other endeavors that revolved around it like the beginnings of this podcast and all sorts of stuff which is amazing but at that time keep in mind I'm 19 at this point uh yeah probably 19 and 20 and I'm trying to figure out who I am and part of that means not having my mom's thing be my thing. I want my own thing. I want to be me. I want to find out who I am. I don't want to have this thing where everyone comes up to me. Oh, you're Peg's daughter. Like, uh, actually it's Megan, but yes, I'm Peg's daughter. Now people address things to Megan. To me, <laughs> But seriously, in that sense, I really needed to find how this practice related, how it was for me. It couldn't just be, I practiced my mom practice. I had to be, I had, it had to be, I practice because I practice. I practice because I love it. I practice because I want to. I make those choices. Not my mom makes those choices. And I just needed that. And so, you know, was, she's in some ways very much like you and in some ways not. I guess one thing, she's not my mother. And <laughs> that's important. So I fell in love with my practice when it became my practice. I didn't practice because someone else was depending on me to do it. Do you feel comfortable telling the story about the Ashtanga Dispatch shirts? I had just started my three-month intensive with her. And 
this is three months for three years. I just started. So we're, we're in this together for three years. And here she is. Like, she says to me after practice one day, she goes, and I'm wearing a Shanka dispatch. I remember a tank, long sleeve. But you can get them online. Yeah. Shankadispatch.com backslash shop. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, she goes, Megan, do you think that you could not wear any shirts with Shanka Dispatch logo and, you know, those shirts? Do you think you could not? And, and if you need to, if you feel like it's really a part of you, if you have no problems whatsoever, you can wear them. And that's your choice. But maybe you can try not wearing them. And I look at her and go, sure. But the only thing is, I, I can't afford any other shirts. You know, casually broke. So all I had were showing her just about shirts. And she goes, I'll bring you some. And sure enough, she did. I didn't, and I, you know, I was just like, what? Like, oh my gosh, now I have to go out and buy all these new shirts, and my what? practical daughter. <laughs> like, geez, I can't do this. Like, gosh, I can't afford this. Anyway, she does bring me some new shirts, and I figure, I mean, the way I thought is, I've come all the way here. I have flown all the way to Australia to be with this woman. I'm going to do what she asks. Why not? Why would I? Who cares? It's a shirt. Who cares? So I did. She brought me this shirt that I'm pretty sure on the tag it said like it was from the 90s and it was from India and it has this embroidered butterfly on it. It's a black crop top. And I think in Sanskrit it's Ashanka Yoga. I should know that, but I haven't thoroughly checked it. Anyway, she brought it to me. It cost 90 rupees. She brought me another one also that was also from India. It was blue. Another pink. That one I think also cost it was a jockey shirt. I think it cost something. They still have the tags on them. So she brings them to me. I wear them. And I wore them a lot. <laughs> and I didn't wear another Shonka Dispatch shirt, but I will say I ended up wearing the long sleeves when it got cold because I didn't have any long sleeves and she didn't bring me in. So I thought, but I turned them inside out. So I was like, okay, this is kind of like different because no one can see. I can't see. Meanwhile, she doesn't tell me this. Oh. We're talking all the time. Never mentions the fact that she's been asked not to wear Ashtanga Dispatch shirts. I figure it's best just to leave that one alone for a little bit. <laughs> you know, mom was already having a rough time with me being there. <laughs> Heart, heart. <laughs> so anyway, I have a meeting with her on the last day, and I say, and it and it dawns on me before I have this meeting that what she did was this huge gift for me to not be, to not have this label or this role that I'm in allow me to be me, to not have anyone know me as the daughter of a strong dispatch or Peg's daughter or whatever, whatever. I could I could be me, whatever that was. And but it was a very real thing in the sense that I can't wear the actual logo. Tangible. Yeah, it was I am 
literally peeling this shirt off of me and not putting it back on. I am stripping away before I can put it back on. I'm wearing one right now. <laughs> but it needed to happen. It really, and, but I didn't know. I didn't know that taking off a shirt and not putting it on for three months was going to be the most transformative experience for me. Cool. Big transformation. It's just a shirt, but it's not just a shirt. It's, it's what it represents. That was important. And I could come back to it. I could come back to a shocking dispatch back to my relationship that my mom and I have, which is so much bigger than mother and daughter and, you know, or, you know, partners in this, or, or, you know, we have so many different layers that make up our relationship and I could come back to it a little bit cleaner. I could unravel a little bit of it to weave it a little bit tighter to know what my colors are and what her colors are to know that intricate web a little bit better and I have to do that by literally taking off that shirt putting it back on and knowing how that feels when you came back that's when real shifts this isn't that long ago but you became very much a part of Ashtanga Dispatch which is the irony of it all (laughs) right because now we can Definitely, your voice comes through, your influence is there in a much bigger way, um, a much more powerful way than ever. I mean, I don't see it, or I don't, and I don't think you do anymore as my thing. No. I think I'm much more, I know a little bit who I am. You have a really, you have a big voice and a big platform, and one that I was never really, I felt, I didn't really feel like I shared that with you I can stand up on that platform and maybe I might be a little bit behind that curtain that's all right like that's a choice that's a choice now it's not me hiding it's me being like all right I'm comfortable with I can I can be whatever that is So maybe this is a good time to introduce our newest project. Yay! A home practice journal, a field guide to the eight-limbed path, which we've written and designed as a creative way to expand and inspire our yoga practice and connect to daily life. Which is to say, it's not a how-to book. I think we have enough of those already. And why this journal is a true field guide a tool for inspiration and exploration and something to make your own. Because we believe that there's a movement within our yoga community to practice yoga in ways other than just series and poses. There's a desire to dig deeper into the philosophy, incorporate other elements of practice like meditation and chanting, definitely chanting, and also a way to reconnect with nature. That nature component, that's so important to us. It's important for everyone. We're not separate. Nature is our home and it's where we're trying to find our way back to, right? Yeah, back to our roots. And if you're on our email list, this month we'll be sharing some pages from the journal with you each week for you to sample. To sign up for the email, visit ashtangadispatch.com. We'll share more later, including details on how to order yours this fall. Until then, thanks for listening.
The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast is hosted by me, Peg Queen, And me, Megan Powell. Music by Mark Pilly. Support for this podcast comes from listeners like you. Your gifts and donations are the only reason we can do this without ads and sponsors. If you have within your means to help, please visit ashtangadispatch.com backslash donate. Thanks so much.